think by the by the end of it, we had a we had a pyramid that was maybe like a, a, a just like a one, one layer pyramid um, up against the wall that was maybe like I don't know a foot and a half away from the ceiling, and and it was mm-hmm. it was pretty generous, and it was like maybe like the four of us or five of us, and took the PT test, and and by the time I, I took that. You know, next to last turn, going around the two mile, I I was just every pore just smelled like Bud Light. <laughs> it was just I I finished. I heard my time. I I just kind of did a gentle beeline to the right, and I just like threw up along the side of the road. Yeah, it was just. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, I I did it in like thirteen, okay, twenty five or something like That's that. Pretty Hopefully. good though, given given oh, the. Yeah. Uh, Given the obstacle you gave yourself beforehand. Given that your blood was oh, yeah. 80% Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, oh, oh, how the mighty have fallen, I guess. <laughs> uh, goat, goat legal advice. <laughs> this is Philip Muster, the Black and Red United podcast. Oh, uh, much, much to your chagrin, you have heard that Adam is not here. Uh, he is in Belgium. I assume he and his wife have flown there to persuade Andy Nahar to return uh, and abandon Anderlecht, maybe even purchase, buy out his own playing contract so he can come back as a free agent. Um, I, I don't He's know. He's still how over here, actually. <laughs> oh, so he, they picked the wrong time as well. Yeah. Um, this is well, going to be a complicated one to, to succeed with. They're <laughs> negotiating with Anderlecht. Just yeah. the owner. Okay, there we go. Uh, the tailors are at uh, the Anderlecht offices, not now because they should be asleep at this hour um, given that even though I am older than Adam, he is clearly the old man on the podcast uh, every week as we make abundantly clear by tormenting him uh, I am Jason Anderson, I have Ben Bromley and Ryan Keeper with me, Ryan stepping in for Adam uh, so I guess we won't really torment anyone or maybe you guys will turn on me, I don't know what's going to happen Um but I will. I do know one thing that is happening for all three of us. I'll start with you, Ben. What are you drinking? So I took care of a friend's cats over the weekend, and they were kind enough to reward me by bringing me back uh, an alcoholic beverage from the southeastern Pennsylvania, northern Delaware area. And so I have Little Round Hop by Big Hill Cider Works. It's a cider, which is not normally my thing, uh, I usually despise ciders, but this one has just enough hoppiness to cut whatever it is I don't like about ciders, and so it's just mildly sweet, mildly carbonated, and it's not too terrible. I thought you were going to say you were drinking cats. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where your story was leading. No, no, no. no. That's probably good, though. You shouldn't um, puree a cat and drink that. That's not a good idea. No, no. Multiple, multiple levels. Yeah, not Especially if these are cats that you... You've been entrusted with these cats as well. Right, so it's yeah, also yeah. On top of everything else, it would be a violation of their trust. I, I think this bottle might have been cracked over my head instead of given to me to drink. Had right. I, done that. I, I don't know if you would have necessarily led with that, though, when they came back. <laughs> Hi, guys, I purified... All right, pureed your cats and drank it. <laughs> it didn't get me drunk. That's what I was hoping for. What'd you get uh, out of Pennsylvania? <laughs> yeah, welcome back. <laughs> Uh, now that we've already, we've already gone completely nonsensical, uh, Ryan, what are you drinking? Um, I just did a, a haphazard rum cocktail, um, just basically a rum and, and pineapple juice option. Uh, the rum is from, uh, a, uh, 
place called Mount Defiance, which is uh, nearby in Middleburg. Um, they do a couple of things. They do ciders, so that I guess that makes uh, Ben's proclamation a, a little bit awkward right now. Um, but, <laughs> but they're also uh, they're also a distillery, and they they do um, they do rum, they do light amber and and dark. I've got the dark in here. It's it's pretty good. Um, I think this is their third batch. They they've only been open for about two months now. Um, they do a lot of stuff with with apples, and and they're they're doing it. They make a, a brandy out of their apples, and ne- like late next month, I want to say they're going to be um, they're in the midst of making and are going to be releasing a uh, an absinthe. So uh, so once oh, that wow. once that comes to market, uh, God help us all for that filibuster. Oh yeah. Pretty much, um, my 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 only absinthe experience is one of those. Um, my my friend ordered it from Spain. He found some way to get it uh, while it was still illegal to get the real uh, hallucinate uh, hallucinogen apple uh, absinthe, and we tried it. None of us liked it. It was it was way too mediciney, um, licoricey uh, for us. And then we made another round. Because that's what you do when you don't like to drink something is you do it again. And by the second round, by the time the second round came around, I'm like, no, I'm starting to feel pretty good about this. And uh, <laughs> it, things went downhill rapidly, uh, as that's per usual. Deal. Yes. Um, I am – I never ate dinner, so I didn't want to drink hard liquor uh, before the show on an empty stomach. So I cracked open uh, – I have an Elysian uh, split shot. It's an espresso milk stout from uh, Cascadia. I think it's a Seattle beer, but it's made with Stumptown Coffee from Portland. So it is proving that those two cities can actually coexist and are probably close enough to the same that they really shouldn't be rivals. Um, I'm sure we just lost our entire Cascadia uh, listenership just now, except maybe someone from Vancouver. Um just because they they're probably happy to hear that because there's an international border proving that Vancouver's a different city so we can't I can't dispute that based on this one beer um, this is I've had this for a while um, and the previous five beers would all foam up a lot when pouring like way too much and so I just let it sit for a while and this time it did it didn't it still foamed up a little too much uh, but it foamed up less it wasn't like an entire pint glass full of foam. Um, which is not what you want, and and I know how to pour. I'm not just you know dumping it down and, and watching what happens. So I guess it just needed some time. I don't know what the, no one else to say. Um, it's not bad though, flavor wise. It just foams up a lot. So watch out if you see it at your local liquor store. Maybe buy it and let it sit. Um, I don't have a smooth segue segue from letting it sit. So I'm just going to go on. Uh, DC United, uh, for the first time in nearly seven years, defeated the LA Galaxy on Saturday night. It was extraordinarily cold and windy. Um, the game-winning goal came with one of the, not actually the last moment of the game, but close enough to it, 93rd minute header from Chris Pontius after a pretty glorious assist from Nick DeLeon, uh, tracking down a long ball from Davey Arnaud that checked up, uh, I, I want to give credit to Arnold for putting just enough of a spin on that ball so it would do that. You could see him sort of swipe under the ball so it wouldn't run um, out of bounds. It still looked like it was going out of bounds the whole time, but uh, it hopped up just right, and De Leon uh, popped it up over uh, Robbie Rogers before setting up the goal. Um, it is a win over a team missing their two uh, top goal scorers, the league MVP, one of those guys. Um 
their starting goalkeeper was out, which may have actually played a factor in the goal since uh, in the moments beforehand, Brian Rowe uh, ran into Connor Doyle. Or if you listen to Bruce Arena's version of events, Connor Doyle uh, took a rope out, I guess, and lassoed Brian Rowe and prevented him from playing soccer for 10 to 20 minutes before the goal was scored. Um, I thought that complaint was more than a little rich. Um, but anyway, anytime you beat the Galaxy, it's going to be fun. Anytime you beat the defending champions, it's going to be fun. And anytime you win on a 93rd-minute goal, it's going to be fun. Uh, but I have to ask, Ben, what, what else were you happy about in this game beyond the obvious um, simple stuff of uh, the, the tip of the iceberg, I should say? Yeah, uh, one of the things that I was really excited about was the return to the starting lineup and the play of Taylor Kemp. Uh, when we last had, when we played against the uh, New York Red Bulls, uh, Taylor Twelman was having a comment about how uh, Kemp and Corb are uh, fairly similar. They're fairly equal. They might be used situationally. And Ben Olsen has said something to similar effect about Corb's speed. But especially on the left, I think Taylor Kemp is a much better choice going forward and probably just as good defensively. He's not quite as quick, but I I think he's basically as good defensively. He doesn't allow those crosses in that Corb seems to always let, like somehow let crosses uh, get whipped into the box from whatever side he's on. So it was great to see Kemp back out there. Uh, He had a number of dangerous crosses in. He's really starting to be a noticeable weapon. Uh, using his left foot, and so it's really great to see him back out there, and it's really great to see him have matured from um, a starter in USL with the Richmond Kickers uh, all the way up to taking over for injury and now basically an established starter in MLS. Yeah, it's definitely a positive to have a, a crossing threat from uh, one of the fullback positions. We don't, we aren't quite there with both sides, but... Um, it definitely adds an element to our game that we saw in 2012 how important it is um, in Ben Olsen's way of playing the game, regardless of 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1, uh, having that extra fullback that can come forward. And Kemp is no is, is no Nahar in terms of his ability to just destroy game plans uh, with his dribbling ability. Or I don't know if you saw the goals uh, for our listeners. If they didn't see the goals Nahar scored for Honduras this weekend, they were ridiculous. Um and actually have made things uh, harder for the national team, uh, the U.S. national team, in the Gold Cup because Honduras got in. They made pretty hard work of it. But anyway, um, back to D.C. United. The game did come with uh, a pretty significant cost. Uh, Steve Birnbaum uh, landed awkwardly on his ankle, came off uh, not even two minutes into the game. He ended up being substituted out by the fifth minute for Kofi Opare. So, Ryan, I'm going to go to you with this one. Uh, what did you think of Opare's performance given – that it was his first 85 MLS minutes with DC United. Um, I, I think one of the best things you could say was probably as, as close to seamless as, as possible. Um, you know, Opare came up in, in corners, which, uh, you know, which you would expect Birnbaum to do. He, uh, you know, played, you know, physically at times, which you expect Birnbaum to do. Um, he, he was making smart plays, whether or not, or I should say, how much of that was was due to uh, Bobby Boswell uh, and, and his game, which was which was good on the night, um, remains to be seen. I mean, Opare does come, have have a bit of a pedigree coming in, um, so I, I hope that 
that Birnbaum's injury isn't severe, um, but by the same token, I, I don't feel as, as skittish about Apare. Not that I felt skittish before, but um, I think one of the things I saw near the end of the game, I, I mentioned it in, in my uh, my ratings post, is, is uh, he went up for a corner and um, and headed it, and it was going wide, and, and he started jogging back, um, you know, to, to mark somebody, presumably. It was kind of a... I think the thing I wrote was that it was a, a subtle nod to JaVale McGee for the Wizards. Um, but I, there was still some pace on that ball to be kept in and, and to be whipped back in. So there was a, a, there was that moment. There was a moment um, where he seemed to need to be directed a little bit, but you know he's he's kind of catching up to the to the game and, and to to those notions. So I think that seeing the tape today, assuming that's what they did, and and more practice with Boswell this week because I don't expect Birnbaum to be playing this week, um, is is only going to further improve that uh, that chemistry with Boswell in the short term. And hopefully, if if Birnbaum isn't out too long, um, then and if if there is the chance to experiment with it, you know, Birnbaum and Opare and as as a pairing um, to to see how those guys would do would be a, a nice uh, a nice luxury for the long term. We could yeah, we could I, probably I, see that sometime in May when we when DC United has to play approximately fifty seven games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even with if uh, Boswell's uh, long established uh, somehow being unable to get injured. Um, over his career, he just doesn't really get hurt very much. Um, you have to assume with that heavy schedule through there that he's going to have to get rested at some point. Um, no one, no one is pro or no one is invincible to um, overuse injuries when you're stuck playing in hot weather uh, every three days, as MLS has decided that that was what we needed. Um, meanwhile, we've only played three games while most everyone else has played four. So you figure it out. You mean no one except Perry Kitchen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he did uh, appear to destroy his knee, and then he was back after just one game out, which was uh, bizarre. Uh, back what was that 2011? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he just right. plays every game because he is a robot. Apparently, um, and he he also managed to survive a Jurgen Klinsmann winter camp without you know having his leg fall off, which is uh, a, a strong a strong mark on on his side of the uh, ledger because. Let's face it, Klinsman is, I think, just trying to grind players into dust. Um, and and if you're still not dust, then you get to play the game. Um, I watching Opare, what I really liked was that, as Ryan said, seamless is a, is a good way to look at it. Um, it didn't look like United was thrown into very much, very much chaos uh, by having to make a substitution. Teams don't want to replace a center back. Any, really, any time, no team wants to make a sub at central defense uh, at any point in the game because it's where organization is the biggest thing, and and being up to speed of uh, up to the speed of play uh, mentally is big. And Opar is coming in, you know, no player realistically, no player sitting the bench uh, at kickoff expects to have to come into the game five minutes from then. Um, so it was a really it's a tough assignment to get um, having to come in. Having done the backup, the the substitutes warm up, which is different. We've talked about that before, um, and then basically being told, you know, up oh, he's injured, so get up, do some sprints, and take your warm up off and and jump in the game. Uh, that's that's asking an awful lot for from a guy who hasn't played 
you know, with all due respect to the group stage uh, in last year's Champions League, uh, Opare hasn't played a significant opponent for DC United yet. Um, this was, and he was having to go right into the fire. Granted, it's not the Galaxy with Robbie Keane and Giassi Zardes, but it was still a tough uh, opponent who had a lot of the run of play. Um, they had a lot of uh, shots. That they didn't have, in the end, they didn't finish with the majority of possession, but it was it was pretty close to even. I think it was like 51 to 49. Um, so, and more importantly, LA was having a bet an easier time creating looks, which uh, kind of brings me up to uh, sort of a an upsetting, but but so it's something we have to kind of deal with, despite the fact that this game was so fun. Um, LA took 17 shots. Only by my count, only two or three of them were at all low percentage shots. They were all pretty good locations for them. Um, Ryan, do you think this is sustainable for United to keep winning until and keep sort of letting up more shots and still coming up with a big play uh, as we did against against Montreal? They actually outshot us as well. Um, we came up with the one big play in that game. This game, we produced the big play at the end. Uh, do you think United can keep this uh, bend-but-don't-break philosophy in place until a spindle returns, or do you think it's going to be a rough three games coming up? Um, I, I think it'll be I think it'll be a rough couple of games. Um, it, it's it's the, the jury's still out in terms of like what Orlando City's trying to figure out what what they're doing. Um, and I, I don't, I, I mean, at this point, I don't see how Orlando City is going to fire 15 to 17 shots on goal when Kaká is, is responsible for a third of those shots. So if you just basically mark Kaká, you're in much better shape than than you were coming in. Um, then you have the uh, the New York game, and, and we saw a couple weeks ago, or we saw last week, that, uh, you know, if, if they... If DC kind of slacks when it comes to the midfield, then then they they may be in some trouble, especially if Lloyd Sam keeps playing out of his mind like he has the first couple of weeks. Um, and then third, you've got Houston, which um, Houston I, I think is is a little bit to be determined as well. Um, I, I don't think that they've got the offense that would generate fifteen to or thirteen to seventeen shots. Um, it's, it's a matter of, you know, where we are at that point. Um, so I think that looking in that short term, um, I, I don't think we're, we're that bad. Um, but what, one thing I did want to say, kind of circling back to, uh, to Opare doing well, um, by the same token, when Leonardo had to go out because of injury, I think it was like in the 55th or 57th minute, mm-hmm. um, you know, DC started turning things on a dime. I mean, they, they had to... You know, they, they had to move. I, I think uh, Dan Gargan went out to the right and, and De La Garza moved into the middle. Um, yeah, that's right. So, and, and you know, we were getting we were getting bossed the first half possession-wise, chance-wise, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when, when it, it was great to see Opari do well and, and kind of help bunker the storm. But, and by the same token, you know, L.A. didn't seem to be up for it, especially when... You know, Curiously, when they had De La Garza and, and Gonzalez back together, so um, I, I think that that was that was a part of it. Um, but circling back to to the larger point at a at a thirty thousand foot level, if, if they are still giving up fifteen to seventeen shots come late May, early June, then it's it's going to be a grind for the rest of the year for them, and and 
hopefully they're realizing that they can't take weeks off like they did against New York a couple of uh, New York last week or Alahorland say the the first leg last month. And uh, Ben, I mentioned sort of uh, I sort of alluded to this. Um, De Leon coming up with a big play at the end. Um, Davy Arnold has been involved actually sneakily has been involved in a big play in all three games with the uh, the pass before Rolf's assist against Montreal. Uh, he won the penalty kick against New York, uh, despite the fact that it did not end up in the back of the net. Um, and then this week, it was his long ball in. Um, we're seeing some players produce maybe not a great 90 minutes, but in critical moments coming up big. And at, at both ends of the field, um, someone like Connor Doyle um, making a block against Montreal on the goal line, whether or not he knew all that much about it, that's a that's for him to tell us. Um, and he's probably not going to tell us directly because uh, I don't think he's going to come on. Um, <laughs> but uh, how how have you? Uh, what do you think of when you see that when you see the team producing big plays, not necessarily a consistent good performance, but coming up big when it when not when it counts, I guess is a for this weekend at least. But coming up big when the, the score is level. Um, coming up big with uh, and and even going back to the Ala Valencia loss, um, Burnbaum getting that goal. He did not come up big in the moments that followed it, but it was still a potentially huge play uh, at a time when DC United needed a huge play. Um, are, are you enjoying seeing that, or are you a little worried that it, that we're relying on um, big plays rather than this the sort of run of the mill plays being good over and over again? Uh, I'm enjoying it so far because, for better or for worse, Ben Olsen teams kind of have a tendency to start slow. March has not uh, been Ben Olsen's month uh, in most of his seasons as head coach. And so the fact that they're, they, they've got six points uh, through this March uh, and the fact that they're putting together these good plays, the luck is breaking their way uh, instead of breaking against them like it did in the beginning of uh, – 2014, uh, 2012, 2011. Uh, I think that's heartening. I think they will turn it back up again, like Ben Olsen teams seem to do. And if they can put this all together with the way the East especially looks, uh, I think they could definitely uh, be one of the top two teams in the East, uh, definitely top three, and uh, challenge for the... uh, conference title again with no problem. So I'm heartened in that they're not dropping these points early. They're actually converting them into wins. At least at home. At least at home. <laughs> um, and I will say that um, we touched on fullback play earlier. Um, I do think that's something that, as far as improving and, and becoming a more regular threat rather than having to um, – come up with a big moment uh, sporadically. Um, we saw a lot of L.A. sort of knowing that they could just let us have the crosses from deeper positions. Uh, I think there was a graphic floating around. It might have been Matt Doyle that posted it. Um, it was just a picture of, of United's crosses uh, on the night that were unsuccessful, and there were a ton of them, and they all came from roughly the same area, about 45, 50 yards from goal, um, out towards the touchline. Um, one thing that I was thinking about during the game and after the game was making one more pass or two more passes, really, uh, have a give and go, something along those lines, so that a guy like Taylor Kemp is crossing from a deeper position 
um, a little closer to goal might might it might help because as it was, United got th- I think Chris Pontius all three of the shots he took in the game were from inside the six yard box. Um, so it wasn't like we weren't getting close range chances and. In a game like that, you might need that just that little more, and 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 also the the element of having giving LA something else to think about. If they're able to sit back and defend your crosses, knowing where they're coming from every time, uh, it's sort of like what we used to see with Mark Birch, where everyone knew um, he could put the ball in a very accurate spot, but the problem was he would settle the ball, look up, and then hit the cross from 40 to 50 yards away. And by that point, everyone's already positioned well enough. And he he did not have the speed to get around his man. I think Franklin and Kemp can do that. And I would like to see that. Obviously, we're not going to get a Danny Alves situation where Sean Franklin is just constantly um, up as high as our forwards over and over again. Um, but it would be nice, I think, to to – make it a little easier for the standard uh, sort of scoring chances, the possession and that sort of thing. It makes it a little easier if United is able to get in behind with those fullbacks and, and put in across that way from a deeper position instead of, uh, well, I mean, I think uh, Franklin had five or six different opportunities where he turned that down and ended up just pumping the ball into the box where we've got at this point, at least and, and, Actually, I shouldn't even say at this point because when Silva and Espindola are back healthy, it's not like we're going to get better in the air in the box. Um, so I guess that's the one thing that I came away from the game wanting to see as the next step to uh, not just have to grind games out and win by an, the odd goal, but to really actually start to dominate games. Um, Ryan, I'll go to you first. Is there anything that you wanted to see change from this performance uh, carrying into next week? Um. Oh, they're coming to get you. Yep, they're coming to get me. <laughs> too too much too much segues back to RVA pride when you when you saw people win. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, in terms of of positives, I I'd like to see them kind of maintain the the uh, the distribution and and passing kind of similar to what they did in the the last half hour. Um, I would like to see uh, Boswell and Arnaud come back from from performances like this with equally good performances. Um, and everything else, I, everything else is is going to kind of be the, the the way that it is. Um, I, I don't expect changes in the lineup um, when it comes to the Orlando game, unless. Uh, unless Silva's given a complete green light, which I doubt. Um, so keep up the last half hour. Uh, keep consistent when it comes to, to the spine of the team down the middle, and um, it, it'll be another... It, it, if those things happen, it'll be a, a, a grinded-out affair that'll uh, be either a tie or hopefully a win to D.C. Ben, how about you? What do you want to, I guess, uh, take the next... What, what? Part of the game, do you want United to take their next step with next week? I mean, yeah, what I want, what I really want to see is something that Ryan said. I want to see that consistency from, especially Boswell. Uh, he had a fairly bad game against the New York Red Bulls, and so I want to see him, especially having to uh, be next to Kofi Apare in what will almost certainly be his first MLS start for United. Uh, I want to see them be a consistent pairing 
in front of Bill Hamid. We know Bill Hamid will pull off the amazing saves, but if he's if he's just getting peppered with shots from Kaká and Boswell and Apare can do nothing to slow him down, it's going to be a long day. And that's actually a useful segue. We're going to do a short uh, national team segment. Uh, speaking of long days, uh, every day with a national team game at this point has become long. Um, and national team practices, they do like, what, seven a days? I, I don't even know anymore. I don't know if they actually take breaks or if they just continue to practice until it's time to go to sleep. Um, obviously, the na- the men's national team, well, at this point, both of them, um, both genders national teams, uh, the men's national team makes us pretty frustrated, pretty sad uh, with the way things are going. Um, by the time you hear this, they will probably have already played Switzerland. That game is tomorrow at noon. Um in fact, I think Jurgen's running them up the Matterhorn now in, in preparation for that. <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh, you gotta get in. You gotta get in that fitness. And if you don't agree, then you need to educate yourself uh, about soccer. You dumb Americans. Um, I think I think Jurgen says that into like his hand uh, while he coughs or something, or you know, turns away from the microphone to say that. Um, I guess to keep it really quick, um, on the optimist side. What's one thing you hope to see in this game? And Ben, I'll, Ben, I'll ask you first. What do you What do you hope to see uh, tomorrow against Switzerland? I mean, I would like to see any evidence, uh, any recent evidence of that change in style that Jurgen has promised. The last couple of games have been almost Bob Bradley esque in terms of formation and style. It's been a very familiar style to. American fans, and it has been effective for uh, the U.S. national team uh, in the past, but it's basically sitting back, absorbing pressure, and then waiting to break on the counter, and that's not anything new. So, uh, but, on the, uh, and, but on the other hand, and, and since they, we don't have all of the main starters to like, get them prepared for the Gold Cup, which would be my ultimate goal, but nobody's there anymore to prepare for that, uh, so absent that, I'd like to see something more akin to what we've been promised and what uh, we kind of expected from Jurgen Klinsmann trying to make the team take the next step. Ryan, I'll go to you next. What, what do you want to see uh, that hasn't happened recently, but what would you like to see that tomorrow? Um, I think the easy answer is, is probably if they were going to go ahead and, and get a goal somehow... Um, be it a, a Bradley Dow to the word type deal or what have you, um, that they pay attention for the you know pay attention to to their own net, um, particularly in the last half hour. I I, I think one of the stats is I uh, they've given up goals something like uh, like eleven goals in their last seven games or something like that, in the last 15 minutes or something. I, it, it, I, I'm probably butchering the, the number. Um, too, too many late goals. Basically. <laughs> oh, way too many. Like, yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, I, I, it'd be great if, if uh, Ibarra and, and Zardes... Uh, you know, handled themselves well. Uh, hopefully uh, uh, Garza... You know, plays decently, assuming that they play. Um, so, but you know, just just play defense for ninety minutes. Let's <laughs> let's, let's start with that. Okay. Um, 
And I, I think my my vote as far as things I'd hope to see, and I'm going to keep it really simple. I'd like to see more than 45% possession, um, <laughs> since the U.S. just generally does not keep the ball and shows no interest in it uh, whatsoever. Or, or if they do show interest, no ability to keep it. Um, I think Denmark is still standing around that stadium, knocking the ball around, uh, wondering why no Americans are challenging them or, or keeping it themselves. So that's my my hope is just not to spend so much time without the ball. Um, on the other side, uh, and we're we're all predictably running behind, so this one's real short. Uh, what uh, this is the glass half empty side. What do you expect to see tomorrow that's going to disappoint you? I mean. William Yarborough giving up two to three goals. <laughs> All right. That's, that would be disappointing. Actually, I don't know if that would be disappointing. That would actually kind of meet my expectations. Cause I, <laughs> I, I have seen Yarborough play for uh, Club Leon. I don't understand why he got called in. I don't think he would be anything more than a mid-level MLS goalkeeper. But uh, he's playing in in a different league, so obviously he must be great, unless uh, he is Sasha Question, in which case he is forgotten. Uh, Ryan, how about you? Um, it, it's I, I wouldn't say that that I, I'd be disappointed in it. Um, but I I think that if there would be a surprise, um, just say if they lose, you know, we we needed to play better. Um, you know, I I know to a degree he you know he he. There's one thing he says in the room, and there's another thing he says to the press, or they may be the same things. Um, but that would be know, terrible. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, and, and, and we know that you're not playing a, a mostly first choice squad. Um, but at some point doing mea culpa, Jurgen, it's not that friggin' hard. Good God. Yeah. Uh, part of being a coach, uh, as we've seen, uh, around these parts is that sometimes the team plays poorly and sometimes you have to say, you know, I was unhappy with the players, but, a lot of times as a coach, you have to say, they weren't prepared, we're going to get together and work on it, um, I'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And I don't know that we've heard that at any point from Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, which is odd because, you know, in, in life, sometimes you have to say, this was my fault, um, in general. And I, I get the sense that maybe he's not familiar with that. Um, my dumb thing that I expect to happen is a uh, just some sort of completely avoidable uh goal after this kind of touching on what Ryan said, we're going to score and then we're going to do something stupid in the few minutes that follow and give away a goal that was completely avoidable. Um, and I don't know who it's going to be the fault of. Uh, I Craig Garza didn't play well against Denmark, but he's previously looked good. Um, Timmy Chandler looked a lot like Timmy Chandler, um, making some mistakes against uh, the Danes. I don't even know who's going to play at center back since Michael Orozco. Right, right. So he is untouchable, apparently, uh, while Tim Ream was called in for no apparent reason. Uh, to play right midfield. Right, he'll end up somewhere else, and um, I don't know. It, it, some, someone's going to make some sort of terrible mistake, and part of it will just be that, why did you play this player who isn't suited for this level of soccer? And part of it will just be that, you know, a lack of preparation from the coaching staff. I don't really know what they do with their uh, extra time, but... Uh, it hasn't appeared to help anything. I don't know. I don't see the pieces about to fall into place all of a sudden and everything works. I see the pieces where they were when we started. If anything, maybe further apart. Um, so on that 
extremely dour note, we're going to uh, take a break. And by that, I mean we're going to stop for a second on our end and call someone. Um, we're not going to commercial because this is a podcast. We don't have advertisers. So please do not turn off uh, however you're listening to this. And uh, we'll be back soon with uh, a preview of our game, DC United's game on Friday against Orlando City. those of you that did not close your uh, podcast uh, option uh, as I asked, welcome back. Um, DC United's next game is against Orlando City uh, this Friday night at 7pm. That game will be on Unimas. Uh, I don't believe there's English language television in the area, so you're going to have to deal with it. I I strongly recommend you just listen to it in Spanish because the SAP button will bring you uh, an announcing team that maybe you don't want to hear. Um, in, in any case, uh, it'll be United's first trip down to Florida uh, for a competitive match since August 5th, 2000. I looked that up beforehand. I don't remember that off the top of my head. Um, so without any more ado, we're going to welcome in uh, Michael Citro from SB Nation's Orlando City blog, The Mainland. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well. Uh, we're doing not, good. We're doing pretty good in... in with with a nod to the fact that we are without the uh, the only person that keeps us tethered to uh, the Earth's surface when we're doing this show because Adam is gone, um, so prepare prepare for things to go off the rails, um, and maybe this is related to that. Uh, our first question, as always, is what are you drinking? Well, um, tonight I've got a Sam Adams seasonal brew cold snap. Um, okay. I I tend to like Sam Adams seasonal beers much more than their regular uh, lager, and I think that if they did nothing but seasonal beers, I would like them better as a brewer. <laughs> I think that's a that's a pretty common. Uh, I think I think you will find little dissent on our part, uh, and and probably in a lot of places. Uh, I think a lot of people, um, the lager's okay, but a lot of their seasonals are better. Um, I was actually just offered the cold snap yesterday, but I got an IPA instead. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> this weekend, uh, Orlando went up to Quebec and came home with a 2-2 draw against the Montreal Impact. Um, it was a pretty crazy game at the start uh, for our listeners that didn't see it. Um, the Impact went up early on a Nacho Piatti penalty kick, and then they scored uh, what will pro- Probably pop, maybe maybe not. If they're not popular enough to stop the ballot box, but maybe they'll win with uh, Jack McInerney's chip uh, in the 27th minute. But by the half hour mark, they were already back level at 2-2. Um, Pedro Ribeiro scored from a Kaká assist, and then within a minute, Kaká scored from a Pedro Ribeiro assist. Um, and that pretty that pretty much some the, the game got kind of leveled off after that. It was sort of a half an hour of craziness. Uh, Michael. Our listeners might not know um, Montreal, or I, I shouldn't say Montreal. Uh, Orlando switched uh, from their normal four-two-three-one uh, formation to uh, what they were calling a three-four-three. But this wasn't a uh, pick on the impact or or find a weakness um, issue. Why don't you explain exactly what was going on uh, that caused this to happen? Well, basically, what happened was that um, Orlando City had about three healthy people. <laughs> in the entire camp uh, on the roster. Um, seven guys are off on international duty, and five more were injured. 
Uh, only 15 players uh, were on the roster, the game day roster, uh, which is not ideal, especially when four of them are teenagers. Um, so what they did was they just threw in what they had, and it was kind of like when you you know, go through your refrigerator and your cabinets and you think, well, I've got this kind of sauce and this kind of meat, and I'll just throw it in and see what happens. And I think that's kind of what Adrian Heath did there is he just figured out something that he could do with the players that he had available, and uh, it was pretty limited what he was able to do. And it was kind of uh, started out as like a 5 2 2 one uh, and then at times it would level out into a flat 3-4-3 three, three sort of formation. But there were five defenders on the field. And um, Danny Mwanga, if he's on the field for Orlando City, it's really not ideal. Um, he's not um, been really good. <laughs> uh, pretty much since he was picked number one overall. But um, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of choice. Uh, everybody was gone or or you know hurt, so it was kind of... Uh, all hands on deck, and it was nice to go on the road and, and get a point with the kind of lineup they were able to throw out there. Yeah, I, I found myself thinking early in the game that maybe Heath was a little more prepared. If you told every coach in MLS they'd have to play with only 15 uh, players uh, on their traveling squad, the experience Heath had in the USL where teams play um, Friday, Sunday sort of games um, they might have actually been a little more prepared for abrupt and chaotic lineup juggling, perhaps, than uh, a normal MLS coaching staff. Um, but I guess to to go another way to talk to uh, talk about a player that was available, um, DC United fans know that uh, our history with signing big name players hasn't really gone that well. Um, our one attempt at signing a player for a seven figure salary uh, saw that player last for about half a season before going to hang out in Argentina uh, to get quote-unquote treatment for the rest of the year. Um, I, I guess I'm c- more curious than anything else. What is it like having Kaká, who appears to be happy in Orlando and healthy and enthusiastic? It's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, everybody seems to love the guy. I mean, he's he's never in a bad mood. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a regular dude. Doesn't seem to have that superstar mentality that so many guys have, and you know he's very approachable. Obviously, there's a lot of um, demands on his time, but he's still a very approachable guy. He'll give you an honest answer. He's uh, he's very uh, you know committed to winning and turning this team into a winner very early. I don't think that he plans on being around in MLS for more than a couple of three years, maybe. So I know he wants to win sooner rather than later. So it's been a really uh, a great experience uh, having him on the club, and and he's embraced the city. He's been very visible. Uh, like going to Orlando Magic games, sitting courtside, and and um, the Orlando Solar Bears minor league hockey team, and things like that. So it's been, you know, really awesome having him around, and especially since he's producing on the field. It's interesting thinking about Kaká for us because uh, I like to think that New York and DC United both tried to get Kaká by luring him in. <laughs> Uh, in 2012, uh, New York signed Kaká's brother, Digao, who I think only made one appearance, and it was against D.C., and D.C. signed Kaká's best friend, Marcelo Zaragoza, at the same time. Um, and it, it turns out you need to do something other than that to get him to come play for you, uh, which Orlando seems to have figured out because they, they don't have Zaragoza or Kaká on their team. And yeah, the um, thing you need to do is to, you, you need to have a Brazilian owner, I think. Yeah, that, that might help. Um, I don't know that that that's going to help us because uh, we already tried to sign an Indonesian star uh, via our Indonesian owner, and that player did not play. Um, not just I'm an Indonesian following. star, the Indonesian Messi. 
Yes, uh, the Indonesian Messi, Siam Siralam, uh, who, who I'm still following on Twitter for reasons that I don't even understand at this point. Um, but but to get away from the big names, uh, like someone like uh, like Kaká, who's a huge international star, tell us about one or two of the guys that are, are less well-known, but so far uh, in four games into Orlando's MLS, uh, time in MLS, who's, who's doing well that's maybe not on everyone's radar? Well, there are three players, I think, that, um, you know, are probably not on anyone's radar. One is... Rafael Ramos, who is on the Portugal U20 team, he's the uh, right back, and he's been uh, really fantastic in in um, the first few games of the year. He, he didn't play at Montreal because he was off on international duty, like everyone else was, and he's one of those guys who who you know you'd love to have as a right back. He likes to get forward, but he's he's quick enough he can track back and um, cover defensively, and he's not really a big dude, so he's um, you know, there was some concern about him getting sort of muscled, and and certainly, you know, a few games in, we're not, you know, we don't have a, a very large sample size, but he's more than held his own at the MLS level so far, and even made uh, MLS Team of the Week, I think, in the second week of the season, shut down that whole right side of, uh, or it would be Orlando's right side, the left side for Houston, which is Demarcus Beasley and Brad Davis, they did really nothing uh, that whole game, so uh, it was a good performance by him. Another guy is Kevin Molino, who is Kaká's midfield attacking midfield partner. Um, they'll switch sides all the time, and they they play very well off of each other. Molino's been a little bit snake bitten in the scoring department, and he's still getting used to the physicality of MLS. But he's been a real bright spot for the team. And then the third guy I would want to talk about is a guy we took in the expansion draft, which is Pedro Ribeiro, who's you know he's a big dude. He's kind of built like a tight end. NFL tight end, and he's very, very skilled. And what he's really shown on the field the last couple of games is a, you know, just a really a hustle mentality. He he just gets after it, and, and he works very, very hard, and that really paid off um, Saturday against Montreal. It was it was interesting. We were talking about this before we came on the air, but um, maybe maybe you can clarify this. Uh, watching the broadcast, Ribeiro early in the game had a number on his jersey, and then. Suddenly he was off screen, and then he came back on the field with no number. Uh, do you know what was going on there, or did he just change shirts of his own volition, or or was there a, a bloody nose perhaps? Someone came out of the crowd onto the field and stole his uh, kit right off his body. He was ah. naked. Now, um, yeah, he bloodied his shirt. <laughs> okay, had to change the shirt, and then I guess they they ironed on a number at halftime and, and got him a new numbered jersey. Okay, yeah, I mean, it, when it, when, they, when you go up to Montreal, you never know what's going to happen up there. Um, <laughs> at the, at the, the Big O, um, they're able to beat uh, great uh, CONCACAF clubs, and yet when they come back to MLS, it seems like they can't really get the job done. Um, I guess my, my final question is, um, our fans maybe don't know, we've, we've already talked about Adrian Heath, but they might not know too much about him. What, a, what does he want out of, out of his teams as a, on a conceptual level, and uh, what is it? What is he going to be like uh, for fans watching him on the sidelines on uh, Friday? Well, Adrian Heath is a very animated coach. Um, he he was uh, he's been caught already on uh, national TV a few times saying some things that you probably wouldn't say to your mom. Um, at least you know not if you love your mom. Um, but uh, he's he's really animated, a super uh, intense guy. He wants his team to play with possession, 
He wants them to attack. He wants them to not turn the ball over in the midfield. Those are the three things that he really stresses. Um, you know, he, he figures if you have, the, you know, if, he, if his team has the ball, you're not going to be able to do anything. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a holdover from the USL. He comes out in his preferred 4-2-3-1, uh, you know, formation. He likes his, his guys to keep the ball, uh, attack up the wings, and in the middle, uh, some nice interchange play around the box and then create good chances. Turnovers drive him insane. And um, so I think you'll see him kind of uh, pulling his hair out a little bit if, uh, if Orlando City uh, is having trouble holding the ball in midfield. All right, Ben, uh, what do you got for us? Sure. Uh, Donovan Ricketts has never been one of the most uh, consistent goalkeepers in MLS, at least not over the past couple of years. So how have you felt about Donovan Ricketts so far, especially, for example, his getting chipped uh, in the Montreal game? And do you see anybody replacing him uh, this season? Well, yeah. In fact, he's he's played very well in the early going of the season. Montreal game was his worst game by far. He he guessed correctly on Piatti's uh, penalty, and it wasn't a well placed penalty, and it got under his arms. He was very upset about it. Got up and yeah, kind of screamed yeah. as one does. Um, and then the chip, I think, was more a miscommunication with uh, Sean St. Ledger. Uh, playing five across the back was was creating problems for Orlando early in the game. Communication wise, he started to come out and then changed his mind, and by that time it was too late to get back and recover. Um, but it was it was certainly his weakest game so far. The big thing now is we're waiting for Tally Hall to uh, to get healthy. He's recovering from an ACL. Uh, Orlando City made a deal uh, or got an agreement in place with Houston Dynamo last year uh, right before Tally Hall got injured. So uh, the injury happened. They they you know they kept up with the deal. Uh, Hall is supposed to be able to make a full recovery, and when he does, he would probably be the man. Uh, you know, everybody's presuming, unless Ricketts gets on a really great run of form. So so that's what we're waiting on right now, and we have a good young goalkeeper we got in the draft, the super draft, named Earl Edwards Jr., and uh, he's looked really, really good in the preseason as well. So I think the team is pretty comfortable with where they are at a goalkeeper, but, uh, yeah, we, we can't have... Yeah, 20-yard chips uh, over our keeper bouncing into the net, roof of the net like that. And uh, certainly when you guess right on a penalty and you can reach it, you should stop it. So, uh, yeah, we haven't seen that consistency, but uh, early on he looked really good. And then my other question, and you just mentioned him, uh, DC United had Sean St. Ledger uh, in camp in the preseason, um, and he was let go uh, probably partially because of salary reasons, and they were – happy with they where they were at center back. Uh, how has St. Ledger looked so far? I mean, I know he's not a preferred starter with uh, when all of uh, Orlando City's people are available, but uh, how has he looked so far? Did DC United miss out on some great catch, or <laughs> is he more uh, just a, a more of a squad player? I think Sean St. Ledger, the best way to describe him is he's been solid. Not spectacular, but solid. He's He's Usually positionally sound. He's a very vocal guy on the field. You can hear him. Uh, we'd go to those preseason games where you know they're just basically playing in a field, and you could really hear him taking charge. Uh, but yeah, he's not he's not the preferred starter right now. He, but he he you can see that he's played in England. You can see he's got that experience, and um, he's played at a, at a pretty decent level internationally too. So um, 
he's a guy a guy that you want to have for depth, you know, when you don't have a defensive line, you know, lineup like DC United has, which is that would be a nice problem to have when you have all these guys and you can't find a place for Sean St. Ledger, but uh, you know, we don't have that problem right now. It's it's a it was an area, huge area of concern coming into the season. We thought uh, this team would be giving up 3-4 goals a game, but they've actually uh, through the first 3 games, I think only allowed three shots on on target and only one through the first two games, and that was mixed Discarude's goal in the opener. So uh, the defense has actually been a stronger point than we thought it would be, and St. Ledger certainly has filled in and done a pretty good job there. Um, well, first off, in a, in a bit of uh, news related to you, it looks like uh, Kyle Laren scored tonight for Canada. So, so attaboys on that pick. Um, <laughs> I, I The other thing, or I guess that my... my Main question is you, you're going to get some of these these uh, these guys back from international duty, but I was curious uh, how uh, health wise how uh, Higita and, and Rivas and, and I guess most importantly Lewis Neal in all caps are uh, in terms of uh, coming back to the lineup. Do you think that there's a chance that we may see them uh, Friday or, or how how does how does uh, Keith normally approach those those type of situations when it comes to bringing guys back. Well, he's been pretty conservative, and he's you know he's been asked about it in the last couple of weeks, and he's said he doesn't want to turn a, a two week problem into a seven or eight week problem. So he's he's going to be pretty conservative with that. Uh, Rivas, to my understanding, is the guy who's closest to coming back. Uh, he's had a hamstring issue. Also, um, Neil's had a problem with his neck. We're not really sure what the status of, of that is because it kind of was a, one of those mysterious things that just kind of cropped up when no one was paying attention. Uh, Igita has uh, he's had some groin and hamstring issues, so um, it'll be interesting to see if those guys can go. Certainly, both Rivas and Igita are you know preferred starters uh, when they're healthy, and it'll also be interesting to see if he rushes anybody back into the lineup that's on international duty because there's going to be. Uh, Darwin Saren's going to be coming in from Los Angeles, uh, and then Breck Shea will be coming back from Europe, and uh, a couple other guys actually will be coming back from Europe as well. So I don't know if he's going to uh, put some jet-lagged guys on the field on Friday night or if he's going to uh, try to tough it out with the roster he's got and maybe put some of those guys on the bench. So you're saying that there's maybe about a 15% chance Penny Hardaway suits up for Orlando City on Friday? <laughs> Um, I'm thinking about becoming a trialist myself. <laughs> Could use the money. So really, can can we just have Lewis Neal back, please? We, we miss him. <laughs> well, we had him first, so we're gonna be <laughs> selfish and, and hang on to him. Um, we let him get. We we let you use him for a few years, and um, you know you chose to sit him on the bench a whole lot. So we're 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 not happy with that. We're gonna keep him. Hey, he you gave won us, us an trophy. open cup. He won us a U.S. <laughs> open cup. Yeah, it, you know, Lewis is he is a beloved guy, and it, you know, it's funny you'll see um, our fans, our longtime fans, are just absolutely insane for the guys who came up through USL with the team. You know, they have an affinity for them, and obviously Kevin Molino is a big favorite because he broke Dom Dwyer's USL scoring record. Uh, but you'd be amazed at the way Breck Shea has played this year. There's still a lot of people that would like to see Luke Bowden playing in front of him. Uh, at left back, so um, you know guys like Lewis Neal and, and uh, Ramos and you know those guys, they're all you know very 
special to Orlando City fans, and you know they'll get the biggest hands, uh, you know, from the crowd when they come on or or, or off the pitch. So, um, you know, <laughs> they're nuts. <laughs> oh yeah, we had two people, three, no, yeah, we had like a handful of people on our our uh, weekly um, poll who picked Luke Bowden as their man of the match uh, in a game where Kaká was amazing and, and Pedro Ribeiro was amazing and uh, Amobi Okugo played very well in the midfield and Aurelian Collin played very well. So, um, you know, I think they they got purple-colored glasses on down here. Uh, I think we, we understand a little bit of that. I, I've actually not shut up about the fact that Thomas McNamara uh, was taken from us by New York City, and he never actually so much as even practiced with DC United. Uh, he was on the team on paper only. Um, so so I guess it, it's something that goes around. It's kind of funny that Lewis Neal would be uh, have that sort of status at two different teams because obviously, um, I don't have to tell you, uh, for, for our listeners, um, Neal, before he came to DC, scored some huge goals for Orlando. Their, I think it was their first ever goal. Um, I think he scored, was it a, a semifinal game winner in overtime, something like that? Uh, in 2011, yeah, he he has scored some huge goals for Orlando City, and he's not a, really a guy you think of as a goal scorer. Uh, but yeah, he did get that first goal in in uh, Orlando City history. So he's, you know, he's a he's a folk hero, and um, you know, the the, the fans here don't want to let him go, and they were really sad to see him go, even though they knew he was going to a higher league at the time. They they really didn't like that at all. And, and I, I I almost wonder if. United knew that since he wasn't going to see much time here, uh, that you might as well put him out there because he's probably going to get going back to Orlando or somewhere he's familiar. Um, and he he didn't seem too unhappy about it either. Not that he was happy to leave, but he also didn't seem like uh, insulted or anything or looking at the negative side. He was um, pretty pleased to go back to somewhere he was familiar with, and he knew that the fans also liked him there. Um, I'm, I'm almost alarmed that we're going to end up with some sort of uh, Stoke City uh, podcast coming in and taking him back from all of us um, <laughs> at some point. But I don't, I don't know that he necessarily fits the, the stereotypical Stoke City style uh, where being a midfielder is sort of a, a concept rather than a thing you're supposed to actually do. You, see, you get to stand and watch the ball fly over your head, um, which sounds like fun but maybe isn't. Um, yeah, that that and ankle breaking tackles, I think, is the other thing they do over there. Yes, uh, you you definitely have to go in hard every single time, regardless of what's happening around you. Um, it's funny. We uh, I was actually preparing a we we had a question come in on Twitter about Lewis Neal uh, that I was going to ask, but we already kind of addressed the fact that um, he has the neck injury that is sort of a uh, kind of out of left field and kind of uh, something that that hasn't really been discussed at length. Um, as far as his ability to play, but it does sound like he he might not be able to play this weekend. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. Is that he's still questionable. Um, typically, Adrian Heath will address the injury situation midweek, mm-hmm. and by Thursday he'll know who he's got available and he'll he'll let us know that. So right now it's a little early, so we still don't know who might be available. Uh, but um, you know, the thing about Lewis Neal wouldn't surprise me if there was a backdoor deal between. Uh, Orlando City and, and DC United uh, will leave Lewis Neal available for you if you don't pick certain guys. I'm not, I'm pretty sure that that happened with a couple of teams, and I think DC United was one of them. Yeah, I mean that's probably something that I, at least as a United fan, I would like to know that my team was sort of planning for these sort of things. Given that when you're near the top of the league, you're likely to lose um, some some players that you're going you would have otherwise used. Um, if you're 
uh, Montreal last season, for example, you're probably not too upset if some of your players leave. But uh, I, I would hope to find out, or maybe not find out, but I would hope that at some point uh, United was on the phone with Orlando saying, like, look, we'll make it so that, you know, you can do this as long as you don't do that. Um, and we'll just we'll accept that because we know you're going to take somebody from us. Um, and that, that's probably best for everyone involved because for Orlando, that means they get to, to plan a little more concretely than just sort of stabbing in the dark. Um, and we, we've seen the consequences of that all the way back to the expansion. Uh, what was it? The, the draft of expansion team rights where Jason Christ was not paying attention and accidentally <laughs> uh, took, took something he didn't actually plan on taking. Um, so Orlando was was more prepared, I would I would say, because they did not make that mistake. <laughs> yeah, but it was nice that we could take advantage of that mistake. Um, one of the things right. we, t- we talked a little bit about expansion draft. One of the things we're terrified of down here is that Jairo Arrieta will score a hat trick against us since we uh, we traded him up there after mm-hmm. picking him. Uh, he does. He did seem um, in the Champions League against uh, Alavalense. He he brought back his old uh, rivalry from Saprissa into that game and seemed to play kind of angry. Um, so maybe there's something to that. Uh, uh, not that he was in Orlando for very long. Um, I think maybe Columbus has to be more worried about him. Hmm. But uh, we'll we'll take a we'll take a hat trick if he wants to hand one out this weekend. Um, uh, but I guess uh, I guess guys, do you have any uh, follow up questions? Nope. I've no, I think I'm good. No? All right. Uh, Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Um, if you don't mind, or if you're interested, if you're not interested, you don't have to, but uh, if you are interested, you can uh, let our listeners know where to find you online. Absolutely. I will let everybody know, and um, it, it's it's been a pleasure to be on the Filibuster podcast, drinking a Sam Adams cold snap with you fine gentlemen this evening, and um, you know it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens Friday night. So you're not going to tell us where we can find you online? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were telling me to tell my people to find the, the no, no, no. Uh, okay. So our listeners can, can uh, find you. Oh, we're at the mainland. You know, the mainland. <laughs> and that's, for those of you that don't know, we're a little bit into lion puns because we are the, you know, the, the nickname, team nickname is the lion. So mainland is M-A-N-E. And our podcast is spelled P-A-W-E-D. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, we can, so we got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, but, um, yeah, we're, we're a little bit off the wall, but the, the mainland.com is uh, where you can find us uh, on SB Nation as part of the, the mighty SB Nation soccer network. I feel like if anyone's still listening to the show, uh, off the wall is kind of kind of their thing. So <laughs> they're, they're not going to be put off. Um, and with that, I guess uh, for some reason we haven't really gone horribly long um, by my standards uh, as host. Um, you can find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu. Uh, all of us write words uh, at blackandredunited.com. The Twitter account is blackandredu. Uh, I don't know who has blackandredunited all one word, but we should probably uh, challenge them to a duel or something. Um, you can send us your hate mail uh, at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. I didn't check if we got hate mail this week. I assume we didn't. We never. We always ask for hate mail. We never get any. Um, or if we do, it's actually people that like us that are pretending to hate us, which is not what we're asking for. We're asking for genuine hate mail. Um, <laughs> if you enjoy the show, uh, word of mouth is our best friend. Uh, if you find someone at, at the next Lot 8 tailgate and you want to talk to them about the show, we would be very grateful. Um, if you want to tell them, if you're traveling down to Orlando and you want to talk to somebody about it on the way down there, 
uh, please do if you want to tell your dog or your cat. Uh, that's kind of odd, but okay. Um, we'll take those listens too. That that counts. It all counts. Um, if you want to shout us shout out filibuster podcast at your next work meeting, uh, I would actually. Above all the other ones, I would encourage that one to just interrupt your meeting and sh- start shouting about a soccer podcast has nothing to do with your work meeting. Um, but now that I've gotten all that nonsense out of the way, uh, for Ben, for Ryan, for Michael, this is Jason, and I am refusing to say goodnight. Good night. Goodnight.